0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, it is my great pleasure to welcome Nina Turner. Nina Turner is the former national co-chair of the Bernie 2000 campaign. She is a former Ohio State Senator and a former professor of African-American history. Nina Turner is currently a strategic delegate advisor for RootsAction.org, and she hosts a podcast called Hello Somebody. Nina Turner, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Great to be with you, David. So many things to talk about. I don't want to, to forget this one. Tell, tell us about your podcast, Hello Somebody.
1: Hello, somebody. So excited. It launched on Juneteenth. What a very fitting day to launch a podcast as as we continue to push for reflection about the African-American experience and what freedom looked like then and what it looks like now. As as you know, we are engaged as a nation and a world in civil unrest over anti-blackness and racism. Hello, somebody is going to be about everyday people i'm bringing in folks who understand the journey both notable people and people right from communities all across this country i want people to see themselves and to find solace and hope also to be challenged because i certainly believe that everybody is somebody so hence, hello somebody people can find it anywhere they get their podcast so please download apple spotify uh, uh, google play wherever you get your podcast and they can follow me on twitter at nina turner and on instagram at nina turner ohio or they can simply go to my website nina
0: very good you seem to be up on all the different uh media outlets um th- th- are, are you as amazed as i am by the level of activism mm-hmm. during the past month where where does how does this compare and where does this fit in african-american history
1: you know, I am, I, especially because we're battling COVID right now as a nation and the world, a pandemic that has uh, overtaken us as a species and the things that we have to do to sure up uh, both ourselves and, and Mother Nature, if you will. And so, yes, to see that kind of activism and civil unrest when we are battling a pandemic of this magnitude is quite telling about where we are as a nation and that people, in the words of Fannie Lou Hamer, are sick and tired of being sick and tired. What happened to George Floyd, the murder, his murder, which sparked folks to take to the streets, is really just a buildup, a pent-up anger, a pent-up rage, if you will, from decades upon decades upon decades or generation after generation if you will of african americans being deprived of what it means to truly be able to pursue happiness and i do believe that just as the civil rights movement was a turning point for that generation that what we are what we're seeing unfold right before us the movement for black lives is a turning point in the 21st century so the civil rights movement had the same had had a specific impact That ushered in a certain level of change from the Civil Rights Act to the Voting Rights Act, and this particular moment is going to serve as a catalyst for change as well in the 21st century.
0: How do you th- how does this fit with electoral politics as the way to change things? We're often told in this country that if you can sit back and do nothing and be miserable, or you can wait your chance to vote many months from now, uh, and there's not much else you can do. But it seems people are engaging in activism at the level of of, of something as historic as the civil rights movement, uh, without yet having uh, had too many elections, uh, and it seems maybe that the frustration of having a candidate like Bernie Sanders uh, rather unfairly uh, failed to get a nomination this time and last time, that that, that, that frustration could be one factor that's helped, helped fuel this activism. What do you think?
1: I do, David. It's certainly one of many variables to help uh, fuel the 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 outward expression, if you will, that we're seeing all across the country. And progressives are, they're winning. We, I want the progressive movement to know that we are winning. This movement is four years old. We'll we'll be five years old in a a bit, but it's, it's four years old. And I mean the 21st century version, because as my dear sister Santita Jackson reminded me, oftentimes we'll look at a race here and a race there. and We'll say, oh my God, this just happened. No, great movements like, Like the movement that we see happening right now in our country, great movements that have the 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 fire to be transformational. Those types of movements and activities do not happen overnight. They build. So I don't want people to see it as a sprint or as a one-off, but to see it rather in their mind's eye as a relay race, the 440 comes to mind, where you have to pass the baton. And that is really what we're doing in the 21st century version of the progressive movement. It is a, a baton that has been passed to us. We know that that spark began in earnest in 2015 when Senator Bernie Sanders declared that he was going to run for the presidency of the United States of America. He was very clear that he was running against an entrenched system that left and continues to leave far too many people behind. He was very clear about the system and what causes the types of inequities that we see in our lifetime. It was the same 30 years ago when then Reverend Jesse Jackson, David, as you know, he ran not once, he ran twice in 84 and 88. And there are lots of similarities between the Reverend's run and also Senator Sanders' run. Both men had the opportunity to run in two consecutive presidential election cycles, which is, is very rare. It, this movement started with people like Congresswoman uh, Shirley Chisholm, who... Said, declared that I'm, I'm not here for any party I'm standing up here for the people or people like Eugene Debs etc etc so it is a relay race and we're passing that baton so it is important to see candidates like a Jamal a, a Bowman win in New York uh, people like Mondaire Jones win in New York I don't know what was going on in New York David but New York was coming out strong in terms of progressives really bumping up against neoliberals, establishment Democrats, and winning. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's, those are just two examples of what, what we see happening on the electoral side. So more poignantly, voting has a place. Supporting progressive candidates certainly has a place. We need both and. We need to vote, but we, we also need to be activists. We need to plan, and we need to organize at all times.
0: We're speaking with Nina Turner, former national co-chair of Bernie 2020 campaign. Uh, Yes, indeed, Jamal Bowman and Mondaire Jones were two candidates that we were supporting at Roots Action and were thrilled to see succeeding. Uh, you know, I was, uh, in in past months, I was pushing for any any presidential campaign, Senator Sanders or any other, to, to publish a, a budget, a proposed budget. Here's what we would like money to go to and not go to in the federal government. And I was claiming uh, for a long time that no presidential campaign ever in the history of the country uh, had ever put out a budget of where they thought money should go. And I, I've just, uh, this, week had people who worked on the Reverend Jesse Jackson's campaign in 88 say, no, 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 we did it. We're going to find it and give it to you. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. But but Senator Sanders has uh, has a new proposal about military spending, as does uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, right?
1: They do. And thank God for Congresswoman Barbara Lee. I mean, she has certainly been quite the champion in the House of Representatives for making it plain about the military-industrial complex and how we are less safe because we spend far too much money on private contractors and not enough money to shore up this nation on the domestic side. And the 2019 discretionary budget was about $1.19 trillion. And, David, 61% of that, or... $720 billion plus, give or take, was spent on the military industrial complex. I mean, I want folks to wrap their minds around that. And so for every dollar that we spend on that side, money that's not being spent on our veterans, many of them who are homeless, that are not being spent on enlisted men and women right now for their care, but is being spent on military... on the military industrial complex, meaning contractors to build more and more weapons, and we do not need those weapons. I mean we have more artillery than the next seven countries combined, and that those are countries like France and countries like Great Britain and China I mean you name it, those big powered industrialized nations we have more, we spend more money on that budget than they than, than they do combined. And one thing when I had the opportunity to talk to Congressman Rokana, you know, he reminded me that under the Bush administration, the, that budget was about four hundred billion dollars. When President Obama it grew to about six hundred billion dollars. So four hundred billion to six hundred billion to now over seven hundred and twenty billion dollars. It is very curious to me how we find all the money necessary to fuel the engines of the military industrial complex, but yet we don't have enough money to pay for Medicare for all or infrastructure or Green New Deal or education. All of those things would make us a much, much, much stronger nation, David. So yes, big ups to to Congresswoman Lee, uh, to Senator Sanders, to people like Congressman Ro Khanna, and even our dear friend David Ben Cohen, one of the co-founders of Ben and Jerry's. For 30 years he has been sounding the alarm about the dangers of the military-industrial
0: complex. So when Congresswoman Lee and colleagues suggest moving $350 billion out and into useful things, like completely eliminating poverty and, and, and massively investing in the environment and education and so forth, they're just talking about taking about it back that? to Bush levels, right? Jo- George That's W. Right. Bush, the, the guy who was launching aggressive wars and locking people up without trial and torturing people and so forth, who, who, Joe, uh, who Barack Obama now tells us was a, was a good law-abiding president. We're just talking about getting back to, to that level, right?
1: That's right. That's all we're talking about. And so where the money goes, you know, I do a show, and it'll, it'll be happening over, It probably have about three more weeks left, but with Ben Cohen, and it's called Drop the Mic, and people can find that on Twitter, at Drop the Mic 2020, where we talk every single week. Matter of fact, we got a show coming up tonight at 7 o'clock, and my guest tonight will be Dr. Derek Hamilton. He is an economist. He's the director of the Curran Institute at The Ohio State University. Uh, to your point, it is so. It is it is imperative that the citizens of this nation that we must pay attention to the budget because the budget shows where the priorities are. And if for this country, the priorities that it, it that if it matters more to elected officials to spend our money because it is our money on fueling a military industrial complex in lieu of education in lieu of social service programs in lieu of putting some down payment on making sure that we have a universal health care system, in lieu of eradicating poverty, what does that say about this nation? We have the money. The, mat, the, the, the question comes down to do we have the will and whose side are these politicians really on, whether they be Republican or Democrat? That is the question that we need to ask. So where does our money go, David? It is our money. It's the people's money. And we need folks to remember that. And we have to be good stewards and good shepherds and make some demands of the people that we put into elected office.
0: It seems like this wonderful activism is compelling uh, more and more major media outlets and, and people to have this conversation about the budgets for police departments, uh, but not as much yet about the military. How, how are these related and how do you get that transition to where people will talk about the military in, in, in different ways, the way suddenly they're, they're willing to talk about armed policing?
1: Well, just the way we just we have to draw people's attention to it, you know, it's so it's such a complex topic that it really is hard for people to focus on that, especially when you're in survival mode. And so many people, I mean, we are fast approaching, for example, fifty million people filing for unemployment. We are almost at fifty million. We're not quite there, but we will get there. And that is not a number that any of us should celebrate reaching. And of that that all of those people who are filing for unemployment every single day. We know that many of those people will not have health care, David. They totally lose it. So what? Because it is employer sponsored, instead of having universal health care, the way that we proposed in our campaign, in the Sanders campaign, thereby eliminating the need for anybody to have to worry about health insurance because it would not be tied to their job. It is the morally right thing to do, and it's also the economically just thing to do as well because we would save much more money as a nation than what we are spending right now. So when you ask how do we get people to focus on the military-industrial complex at the same time that they're focusing in on police budgets, it is to draw the line between those things that we need, want, and can have, and how both the military-industrial complex and the policing budgets eat into local, regional, state, and federal budgets and what that means. Where could we put that money? You know, Ben and Jerry's put out a nice graphic where it had this bowl of ice cream, no surprise there, and they had little bowls. One had education and then health care and infrastructure, and they were scooping it out. But the big bowl... They had defund the police, and it's about $105 billion. And so what they were saying is what the defund the police movement is actually saying, is to invest that money where it is needed the most and where it could do the greatest good. So one of the things that we're doing with Drop the Mic 2020, David, is trying to draw people's attention in a way that they can understand it, so that they can connect the dots to all the things that we could and should have But we don't, because that money, our money, the taxpayers' dollars, are being allocated other places and in places that do not lift and do not make this country, really, it doesn't make us safer. And the militarization of the police, as you and I both know, and many of your listeners I'm sure know, the 1994 crime bill, a lot of the... The the militarization of the police force came through that bill, the the handing down, if you will, of old equipment, I put that in air quotes, that police departments have gotten and continue to get is because of the 1994 crime bill.
0: Brings to mind the question of what you do about as uninspiring or, to be honest, as repulsive a candidate as, as Joe Biden. Do you, do you focus on the, on the good congressional candidates and let people uh, find their own way on the, on the presidential lesser evil uh, disaster? Or, or what do you do about, uh, about a, a candidate that bad?
1: That's part of it. You know, I lean to what Dr. Cornell West has been saying, it, saying, and he hits the mark as, as good as, if not better than most, when he says what we're dealing with is the difference between a neoliberal and a neo-fascist. We have really two bad choices this time around. We do know that this is truly about the lesser of the two evils. That is what this comes down to. And Mr. Trump is certainly the worst president that we've had in modern history. He stokes the flames outwardly of racism and bigotry. He cuts, you know, budgets for uh, for, for uh, services that the poor people need in this country. And it's just, we, we, we just cannot, just can't stomach him. We really can't. And so one of the things that the progressive movement is going to have to do, and I'm not asking... It, people are going to have to make up their own minds, but to your point, we can do what we have been doing as a movement, and that is to focus on and concentrate on congressional candidates. We need to, David. I'm just so surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be. I mean, as a former state senator, I'm just perplexed as to why we, uh, being the Democratic Party, is, is not focusing more on legislative races because this is a redistricting. You know what what happens this the when legislatures whoever control the legislatures throughout this country this year will be the ones to draw the lines the congressional lines and that is just as important as electing the next president of the united states of america so we have lots of work ahead of us and if and when mr biden is successful what we are going to have to do as a movement is not fall in love with anybody hold accountable, hold all of these elected officials accountable and not like somebody so much that you don't critique them. Don't like them so much that you don't stand up to them when they are not doing the right thing. Don't like a candidate so much that you don't say to them that I will withhold my vote from you unless you are working on behalf of the people. We've done that far too often with elected officials because we fall so in love with them. We cannot afford that David right now No, we cannot. We cannot afford to fall so in love. You can like a candidate, admire a candidate. All of that stuff is beautiful. But while we are doing all of that, we must hold them accountable. And there are some needs, some piercing needs in this country that COVID-19 has certainly all by itself unveiled, has revealed. The illusion is over People can no longer say that they don't get it, that they don't understand it. And one of the things that's really getting to me right now is to have a presumptive nominee that even in the face so far, even in the face of this pandemic, even in the face of so many people filing for unemployment, has not come out and said, you know what, I didn't get it before, but I get it now. I didn't necessarily agree during the robustness of the Democratic debate. But I understand it now as more and more people file for unemployment, we must do something about that. And I support Medicare for all. I don't know how you can be an elected official worth your salt, especially on the federal level, and not see the pain that people are suffering all over this country and not want to do a new thing. There is something truly wrong with that, David. And so we have to awaken the sleeping giants in this country and, 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 and make sure that those sleeping giants know who's really on their side.
0: The, uh, the, one of the big states that Senator Sanders won in the primaries was California. And I know you've been involved in this big push to have Congressman Khanna, uh lead the California delegation to the convention, although I guess it's not going to be much of a real uh, in-person convention. Uh, what, is, what is involved there? What is, the, what is the goal? What can yet be uh, accomplished uh, in, in the Democratic Party at the presidential level here?
1: Yes, the goal is to get Congressman Rokana, who was one of the national co-chairs, along with myself and Ben Cohen and Mayor Carmen Cruz from uh, from, the, from San Juan, Puerto Rico, is really to push that delegation to elect him as the chairman uh, for the California delegation for him to be the chair, and it, that is vitally important because. One reason is because Senator Bernie Sanders won the great state of California. Congressman Ro Khanna serves as a bridge in so many ways. He has stood up and he continues to stand up for Medicare for All and College for All, and he understands that we spend too much money on the military and not enough money with the domestic needs. He is right up front when it comes to wanting to reform not only police, but he understands that the criminal justice system in its entirety needs to be performed and through his leadership it would go a long way of showing, not just in the great state of California, but all across the country, that the Democratic Party itself is ready to embrace and that it sees the progressive movement. It will activate progressive activists all over this nation, particularly in California. But if Congressman Rokana is successful, David, this will send a strong signal across the country to progressives that they are that they are wanted, that they are needed, that the Democratic Party understands that the Progressives are a strong force, and there is nobody better to lead the helm than Congressman Ro Khanna. And I'm so excited, along with, 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 I'm so excited along with our Revolution and PDA and organizations like, uh, or or the Progressive Caucus, I should say, from California and 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 roots. Action, all of these progressive organizations standing up side by side to support Congressman Ro Khanna.
0: Well, he certainly has been one of the best members of Congress in recent years, but is is the idea that that his leadership of that delegation will influence Joe Biden in any way or influence uh, a party platform, which will then somehow influence Joe Biden in some way?
1: Yeah, the platform is, is part of it. But I think it's bigger than that. Him becoming the the chair has uh, so many positive attributes. It will keep the progressive movement motivated. As you know, uh, a lot of the wind out of the sails of that progressive movement was, was taken out when Senator Sanders suspended his campaign. There are many out there who are fighting to continue to keep that spirit alive that we know that the senator was the spark, but we are the fire. Leaders like myself and others are pushing this movement. And so having him be the chairman of the California delegation, yes, he will be able to influence the platform, no doubt about it. California is the largest state in the union, and he will have that kind of sway. But beyond the platform it, what a, what an organizing tool to say hey we were able to do this in california we can do this kind of thing all across the country we would take that synergy as a movement as far as we could and it is it's important for planning into the future so it's not just about the convention itself it really will help this democratic party kind of reform itself a little bit because it has a reputation heretofore of not really embracing the progressive side of the movement they could they could start to show that they will embrace that our side of the movement by electing Congressman Rokana.
0: We have just a few minutes left. Nina Turner, it, it seems that uh, a lot more is happening at the local level than, than the national in terms of, of positive change, including in response to Black Lives Matter activism. How do you see the Democratic Party and, and politics in, in general at the local level uh, accomplishing uh, progressive change and, and perhaps influencing larger levels of government?
1: We certainly see this movement. The Atlantic magazine put out an article that lays out exactly what you just expressed, that the, the, the protests, the civil unrest, the demonstrations are having a significant impact on electoral politics. And as somebody who served on the local level, both as a, city, a Cleveland City Councilwoman and also I worked for one of the mayors of the city of Cleveland, I can assure you that local politics really is where it, it's at. And so I know our focus right now as a nation gravitates towards the Congress and gravitates towards who's running for president, but no level of government is more important than the level that is closest to the people. And so to continue to push, we need to elect progressive mayors, uh, progressive members of city councils. Mayors and city councils can reform their communities a lot quicker Than the state level and also the federal level. So as we push to both reform and also revolutionize law enforcement in this country, one of the quickest, most thoughtful ways to do that is through local levels of government. And I don't want us to ever forget that.
0: I don't think we can. I don't think people are going to let us. They're they're filling the streets over and over again. Uh, with just a, a minute left, Nina Turner, what, uh, what should people do? Where should they go? How can they follow up and, and keep in touch with you? Thank you for that, David. They can follow me on Twitter, at Nina Turner. On Instagram, Nina
1: Turner, Ohio. Facebook, Nina Turner. And they certainly can reach out to me via my website at ninaturner.com
0: ninaturner.com. We've been speaking with Nina Turner, who is the former national co-chair of the Bernie 2020 campaign. She's a former Ohio State senator, former professor of African-American history, and is currently a strategic delegate advisor for RootsAction.org. Nina Turner's podcast is called Hello Somebody. Check it out. Nina Turner, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio.
1: It was my absolute pleasure today. Thank you.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a non-profit station, please support that station talk nation radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org there is no way to peace peace is the way until next time